Holy Hour of Power, the Terry and Jesse Show, two Catholics with PhDs in common sense, two Catholics that love the Lord, love Our Lady, faithful sons of Holy Mother Church, and I'm on duty. Terry, what about you? Yes, I feel like I'm on duty. I started uh, at the church at 4.30 this morning, so I'm, I've never <laughs> been so busy and never been so happy to share the gospel. We've got two or more families that are having funerals at our chapel. I'm just one busy dude sharing the gospel. And Jesse, I couldn't think of a better thing to do. Today, Jess, yeah, we've got yeah, a good show. I'm going to be gone after the first segment, but we're going to be talking about Senator Ron Johnson saying that the pandemic pre-planned by an elite group. Okay, that's. I think, I think we've talked a little bit about that. Let's find out what he has to say. Also, one of uh, an interesting topic, the many meaningful signs of the cross in the Roman canon. Uh, P- Dr. Peter Wisniewski, we've had him on before. This guy's a, a, a know-it-all guy from Thomas Aquinas College, and he just, when it comes to liturgy and it comes to history, he's got it down. So we're going to have that and much, much more. But just, just a good to know file. We've already had tens of thousands of people watching yesterday's show. What? Why is that? Because Pope, because uh, Bishop Joseph Strickland came out with a letter to his flock. And we played that yesterday, and we talked about it. And it's on YouTube. Pass it around to your friends. It's going all over. I got information. I got people from Germany contacting me. It's on German websites saying how, you know, the conservative websites in Germany saying this is the kind of bishop Germany needs. Hey, no, don't take him. We want him in America. He's America's bishop. So (laughs) anyhow, the point of it is, if you didn't listen to yesterday's show, uh, check it out. And then, Jesse... On Tuesday, we recorded Bishop Strickland yesterday, and we read the entire letter verse by verse with his commentary, and that is going to be a bombshell when it comes out on Tuesday after the Terry and Jesse show. So lots of good things to do. And Jesse, one more uh, good-to-know file. It kind of deals with what Pope Francis is doing and what Father, what Bishop Strickland said about marriage. Um, we have a funny thing going on. It's, it's not funny. It's sad. We have the vigor of Christ praising LGBT Catholic groups uh, in letters, Father James Martin, and never making a distinction about these groups and their activity, uh, sexual activity is being chased. It's just, we, we love you, come on in. See, that's sad, and, I, and I'm sad to have to say this to the vigor of Christ, that we care for you, we've got to ask you to stop doing that because you're sending a message that sinful behavior is okay, and that's not what the biblical worldview says. So please, Pope Francis, I mean, I'm just being generous, Jesse. Come on, Pope Holy Father, do your job in the guardian of the faith and keeping it and not compromising or lowering the bar. Jess, I've said enough. Or, or like you would probably say maybe in more uh, colloquial terms, Dad, Dad yeah. knock, it off. knock it off. You're scandalizing the kids. That's exactly Dad, what Dad, knock I'm it saying. off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you nailed that, it, that's, yes. that's kind of more of the American way of saying it. Yeah, it is. How about you, Jess? Yeah, a few, uh, last night was the eight Republican presidential debate, which I didn't walk, watch. Didn't it took stage in Milwaukee, uh, and that was the first debate of the 2024 presidential election cycle. I actually watched uh, uh, President Trump and Tucker Carlson, their interview. I, it, was, oh, yeah. it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's on social media. Anybody, anybody can watch it. <clears throat> also... Uh, a Catholic farmer speaks up about discrimination after city officials excluded Catholic fruit farmer Steve Thames from the local farmer market. He sued the city's decision to shun Thames came after he stated he would not host same sex weddings at his property. Praise God. Following a win in court, praise God, 
uh, Mr. Tens spoke with Fox News Digital about how his victory will help people of all backgrounds and beliefs to realize that the government can choose to punish some people just because they don't like their beliefs. Man, Good one. Good. Also, Virginia Catholic schools are still growing. Catholic schools in the Diocese of Arlington registered their third straight year of growing enrollment, Good. making a 10% increase in enrollment Huge. since early 2020. The Catholic schools' steady growth has continued even as public schools districts in Virginia still failed to reach pre-2020 enrollment levels. And, uh, and, and, also, and finally, uh, the debt that we owe to Senator James Buckley. Catholics in the U.S. owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to former Senator James Buckley, mm-hmm. writes uh, John Grindolsky. Buckley died on October 18th at the age of 100. Wow. He, was, he was one of the first senators to introduce human life amendments designed to overturn Roe versus Wade. General rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let the perpetual light shine upon that man. God love Amen. him. And today's the feast of St. Bartholomew. Yes. He's one of the apostles in the three of Gospels. He's also in the book of Acts. Yeah. Tradition holds that St. Bartholomew traveled to India preaching the gospel. He was willing to die for the cause, dying a martyr's death by being skinned alive and beheaded. So next time you complain, just think about St. Bartholomew, how he died. (laughs) Well said, Jesse. Hey, let's get some soul food in our souls, brother. That was good. (laughs) I like it. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Today's Holy Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 45 to 51. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one about whom Moses wrote in the law and also the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. But Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, here is a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity in him. In other words, he doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth like most politicians and a lot of <laughs> prelates today. Yeah, that's what that meant. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? That I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A few things I would say. Number one, um, Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, was the first person to call Jesus the Son of God. Right. Secondly, uh, what a compliment. There is no duplicity in him. In other words, this guy talks a talk and walks a walk. This guy says what he means and means what he says. What a compliment for the Son of God to say that to you. Yep. Also, something very interesting. So we wonder, so uh, it says, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. So what was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Well, there's there's three different interpretations here. Uh the fig tree, again, it's, it's a reference to Israel. So some people see that Jesus is using his supernatural gift of knowledge as a son of God, kind of like he did with the Samaritan woman at the well. 
And Jesus could have been noting maybe a secret sin that Nathaniel committed under the fig tree. That's one possible. Another possible interpretation is that Nathaniel was praying under the fig tree, praying for the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus presented himself as the immediate answer to that prayer, to Nathaniel's prayer. Uh, another possible interpretation is, again, the fig tree is a symbolic of the, of the nation of Israel. And so uh, Jesus' reference to the fig tree could have special symbolic significance that, again, Jesus Christ came to die, uh, to, to gather the lost sheep of the lost tribe of Israel. And finally, the last thing that I would say is, what does it mean here where it says, amen, amen, I say to you, you will see, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What does that mean? You have to go back to Jacob's ladder. And in Jacob's dream, he saw angels going up a staircase and coming down a staircase. And so what does this basically mean in the New Testament? It means that now Jesus is the only staircase to heaven. Well said. Our pastor said the same thing this morning at Mass. It's funny that he had the same line. All right, let's bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Archbishop Fulton. Check this out. It's about birth. If we are to live in a higher life, we must die to the lower life. Yeah. If we live in the lower life of this world, we die to a higher life, which is Christ. Check this out. He says, to put the whole law into a, paradox, into a beautiful paradox of our divine Lord, if we wish to save our life, we must lose it. That is, if we wish to save it for eternity... We must lose it for time. If we wish to save it for the Father's mansions, we must lose it for this dull world. If we wish to save it for the perfect happiness, we must lose it for fleeting pleasure of mortality. You know, Jesse, what Sheen is saying is the world offers us... Jesse, if you live to be 100, I don't think you will. I think maybe 70, 80 for those who are strong. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, we got a few more decades, if that. But eternity, compared to that, it's nothing. This is why we have to stay focused on the supernatural and not talk about, I'm just going to hit it again, recycling, okay, fine. But let's put our energy as a church into saving souls. And this is what's most important. I think Bishop Sheen made the point. We have to die to self to grow to Christ. Amen. Good stuff, Terry. I think it's Sheen's... You know, you know what, Jesse? One more quick little plug. Fulton Sheen's going to have a... We're going to have a day with she, Fulton Sheen October 14th here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Check wow. it out on our website. You can join us for that. We're going to be streaming it. Also, don't forget, Bishop Strickland will be our keynote speaker in Tyler, Texas on, on September 1 and 2. It's filling up fast. I would recommend that you go to uh, vmpr.org, sign up for that event. I'll be there. We've got an exorcist there. we got... Bishop Strickland there. We got Mother Miriam there. Lots of great people. Join us by going to Virgin Most Powerful Radio and sign up for that. Okay, Jess, when we come back, Senator Ron Johnson says pandemic pre-planned by an elite group and much, much more. I'll be taking a step out. Jess, you're in good hands with Jesse and his guardian angel. Stay with us. Amen. back there's still some good people in politics somebody that 
falls into the error of overgeneralization, says all people in politics are wrong are bad. That's not true. You got some believers, you got some people of faith there. God, Christ has people in all walks of life. Uh, yes, every, every, every place has been infiltrated by bad people, absolutely. But you also have God's people sprinkled amongst, uh, uh, as the Bible says, the weeds, bad people, and the wheat, good people. I think one of the good people that we find today in the Senate is Senator Ron Johnson. He says that the pandemic was pre-planned by an elite group of people who conducted the event who, who conducted event 201. And again, they're, they're ready to do it again right before the next election. So we're going to see the same thing happen again with shutdowns and mask mandates and stand six feet apart and, and, uh, all the commotion that we saw in 2020, it's it's preparing to happen again uh, because we have an election coming up and they want to disrupt the elections. That's what they want to do. They want to keep their man in, <clears throat> their uh, socialist president in, Joe Biden. But uh, talking about Senator Ron Johnson, he, you know, some people say, well, it's about time somebody speaks out about this on the right. Well, better late than never, Senator Ron Johnson, this U.S. politician, recognizes that all may not all may not have been what it seemed with the pandemic and its tyrannical response. Senator Ron Johnson last Friday told Fox Business Maria Bartiromo that COVID-19 and its response were pre-planned by an elite group of people who conducted event 201. This is a joint exercise conducted by John Hopkins, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the World Economic Forum, which envisioned the spread of a coronavirus pandemic in South America, which included over 65 million deaths worldwide. The simulation concluded that national governments are nowhere near ready for a pandemic. Senator Ron Johnson says, we're going down a very dangerous path. But it's a path that's being laid out and planned by an elite group of people that want to take control over our lives. And that's what they're doing. Bit by bit. Senator Ron Johnson, who sits on the Senate Homeland Security Committee and is a ranking member of the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, uh, to which Mrs. Uh, Maria Bart Bart Bartiromo responded. She said, "Quote: It's just extraordinary to me that the government was working with social media to amplify lies and suppress truth, and has been doing so repeatedly. We just saw the Facebook story, the Twitter files, all of the all of the ways." Government officials from the CDC, FBI, you know, the CIA, a thousand people, according to the reporters, working on the Twitter files, worked with social media to amplify lies and suppress truth. Hmm. Wow. Good for her. We need more people like that uh, speaking truth to power. Ron Johnson, the senator, then said... This is all pre-planned by an elite group of people. That is why I'm talking about it. 
the event 201 occurred in late 2019 prior to the rest of us knowing about the pandemic. Again, this is very concerning in terms of what is happening. What continues to be planned for our loss of freedom? Added Ron Johnson, the senator. It needs to be exposed, but unfortunately, very few people, even in Congress, are willing to take a look at this. They all push the vaccine. They don't want to be made aware of the fact that vaccines might have caused injuries or death. So many people simply just don't want to admit they were wrong and they're going to do everything they can to make sure they're not proven wrong. Senator Ron Johnson says, we're up against a very powerful group of people here, Maria. So why couldn't the American people know that? You know, that there were other alternatives to treat COVID. Why can't American people know that there were side effects with the vaccine? I'll tell you why. Because we've approached an age of Marxism. We're living right now under Marxism, under Marxist tyranny, under the Democrat Party. Let me define Marxism to you, and then you'll say, yeah, we are living under Marxism. What does Marxism, the, the, the philosophy of Karl Marx, promote? It promotes the destruction of religion, family, and property. I'm going to repeat it three times so this sticks forever. Marxism promotes the destruction of religion, family, and property. I'm going to say it one more time. Marxism promotes the destruction of religion, family, and property. That is why Pope Pius XI famously declared... The following, quote, religious socialism, Christian socialism are contradictory terms. No one can be at the same time a good Catholic and a true socialist. Close quote. Pope Pius XI. I'll say it again. Pope Pius XI. Quote, religious socialism, Christian socialism are contradictory terms. No one can be at the same time a good Catholic and a true socialist. Close quote. I wonder what Pope Pius XI would say right now about being a Democrat. Hmm, I'm wondering. Big government is powerful. So are gigantic corporations. They're very powerful. This is called the, the, the unity or the alliance between big government and gigantic corporations. We call this corporatocracy. Corporatocracy. Think about what would happen if big government and gigantic corporations formed an alliance to control the entire planet. Hmm. This would be called Marxism, which, by the way, has seized hold of our country and Catholicism in many quarters of the world. Marxism seeks to destroy all that went before it and replace it with a world of darkness where humanity made in the image and likeness of God, is enslaved to this new world order. Yep. Benito Mussolini said fascism should be more properly, should be more properly be called corporatism because it is the merger of state and corporate power. Close quote. That was Benito Mussolini. Perfect definition. He says fascism should be more properly should more properly be called corporatism 
because it is the merger of state and corporate power. This is exactly what's happened to, to the United States of America and many other countries. You've got very sinful, wicked people. They've taken control of all the major institutions of our cities and towns, and they do not want to give up this control over our lives. They will fight tooth and nail to keep this control because it greatly benefits them monetarily to maintain this control over us. Well, guess what? This is the work of the Antichrist. The good news is that all of this evil ushers in the second coming of Christ and the final victory over evil. I think this is where we're at now in world history. That's what I believe. You know, oftentimes I meet Catholics that are just, uh, they're, they're full of anxiety, depression, stress, because they're so connected to the news. And they call me up, Jess, Jess, and the three days of darkness, and Jess, and, and, the, and, and, the, and the great tribulation, and Jess, Jess, and, 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 uh, and fire's going to fall from heaven, and Jess, Jess, and, and Rome's going to lose her faith, and, and Jess, Jess. A lot of Catholics, it, they need to start disconnecting from some of the bad news. If what you're taking in your mind, your imagination, is not drawing you to holiness, then it's, it's not benefiting you at all. If it's going to cause you to become a basket case, a nutcase, stressed, depressed, full of anxiety, then it's time to disconnect. Remember, I get it. I understand there's a lot of private revelations approved by the church that don't bode well for the church and for the times that we're living in right now. But let's not forget, God can suspend a prophecy of judgment and chastisement. How? If people repent, God will avert his punishment upon a nation and an individual. So I know. I've heard all the prophecies. I've read them, the approved ones, the private revelations from mystics, and I get it that many of them are talking about things that are happening right now in 2023. But let's not forget God's in control. God can suspend a prophecy of judgment and chastisement if people repent, God will avert his punishment upon a nation or an individual. Where does it say that in the Bible? Many places. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I, the Lord, will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. We see God will heal a country and stop impending judgment and chastisement if people repent and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways and humble themselves. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10, it says the same thing. When God saw their deeds, the Ninevites in Assyria, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So there we see God was about to punish and destroy uh, Nineveh in Assyria, he sends Jonah, the minor prophet. He preaches to them. They repent. They, they, they humble themselves. They change their ways. They repent in sackcloth and ashes. And what does God do? God holds back his hand of judgment upon Nineveh. He forgave them. He relented. He, he, he averted his chastisement because they repented. 
In Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 8, the Bible says, If that nation against which I have spoken from it, uh, that I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Again, very clear, Jeremiah says, Yeah, God is planning a judgment upon a nation, but of that nation, if people repent and change from their wicked ways, God will will turn from his uh, from his pre-planned judgment or chastisement. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, the Bible says, So the Lord relented in the punishment he had threatened to inflict on his people. It's very clear. Once people repent and, 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 and turn back to God, God will avert his punishment upon a nation and even an individual. Listen to the Terry and Jesse show. Yeah, up next, I'm going to talk about the power of the sign of the cross. And why are, there, why are there so many signs of the cross in the Latin Mass? That's what I want to talk about. We'll be right back. Stick around. During Jesse's show, we're back. Have you ever wondered... Why there are so many signs of the cross done in the Latin Mass. <clears throat> I think somebody's counted this in this article, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, who's an expert in all things Latin Mass. He says that there's uh, 26 uh, times when the Catholic priest does the sign of the cross at the Latin Mass. Dr. Kwasniewski talks about the many meaningful signs of the cross in the Roman canon. He says that on the first page of his famous and rightly beloved introduction to the Mass, republished by Angelico Press under the title, The Traditional Latin Mass Explained. He says, you find these decisive words, quote, The sacrifice of the Mass is the sacrifice of the cross itself. In it, we must see our Lord nailed to the cross and offering up his blood for our sins to his eternal father, close quote. So throughout this work, uh, Dom Prosper Garanger lovingly comments on the significance of each of the many signs of the cross that the priest makes upon himself over the people, over the host and chalice, and with the host and chalice. And it never once occurs to him to apologize for the number of these signs. He takes it for granted that they're present because they are meaningful and it is our task to understand their meaning. In his unparalleled book called The Traditional Mass, History, Form, and Theology of the Classical Roman Rite, Michael Fiedrowitz speaks of Frankish developments in the Roman canon. He says, quote, The canon which was me, which, which was meanwhile being prayed in silence was embellished by means of many gestures, bows, and signs of the cross to become a vivid action of the priest. The 1243 Franciscan edition of the Roman Curia's Ordo, Ordo Missi, Order of the Mass, was the first to commit to writing detailed rubrics for genuflections, bows, signs of the cross, and other gestures which became a firm element 
of the Roman Rite through such exact recording later continued in 1498 by the Papal Master of Ceremonies, Johann Burchard of Strasbourg, with minute arrangement of even the smallest gestures. Michael Friedrichs later ex expands on, the, on a particular aspect of this rituality. He says that the sign of the cross, which in various forms accompany many prayers or are accompanied by them, emphatically connect the sacrifice on the cross, which obtained forgiveness of sin and eternal life to particular parts of the celebration of the Mass. For example, the request for forgiveness after the confidier or the close of the cradle, there's another sign of the cross, and the reception of communion, the sign of the cross made at the close of the Sanctus during the words of Benedictus qui venit in nomini domini recalls that the entrance into Jerusalem began our Lord's passion to which as a mystery to be realized vivid witness is given again and again on the altar and profound numerical symbolism above all by the numerous signs of the cross made over the bread and wine or the body and blood respectively and during the prayers of the canon even in the slightest gestures, for instance, the thumb crossed, crossed over each other in a cross at the spreading of the hands over the Eucharistic offerings, that prayer is called the Hank Egitor Oblationem. So when the priest puts his thumbs and he crosses over each other in a cross, just like this, at the spreading of the hands over the Eucharistic offerings, the sign of salvation is present in order to indicate Christ as the sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial character of the canon is emphasized also by the multiple signs of the cross that accompany it in ornate arrangement functioning as either effective blessings or symbolic illustrations. Before the consecration, the sign of the cross possesses a, signifying, a sanctifying function of preparing for the Eucharistic transubstantiation. You could read the words of, uh, <coughs> of the Eucharistic prayer and you'll see how many times the priest makes the sign of the cross over the host, <coughs> over the bread, over the host and bread together, now over the body and blood of Jesus Christ, over the chalice. Equally, before and after the consecration, the sign of the cross partly illustrates and intensifies the terms of blessing and sanctification and partly identifies and distinguishes particular works as being sacred. The sign of the cross witnessed since the 8th century were in part originally rhetorically pointing gestures that according to ancient custom accompanied the spoken word <coughs> and were gradually stylized into a cross. So there are 26 signs of the cross in total during the Mass. And this continually points to the fact that the Mass is a sacrifice. That's the point of it. This is why so many signs of the cross are done by the priests at the Latin Mass. 
<clears throat> to indicate that the Mass is a sacrifice so that we don't forget. St. Thomas Aquinas, Summa Theologica, number 3, question 83, article 5, says this, talking about the multiple signs of the cross. He says this, quote, The multiple signs of the cross are always and everywhere signs of remembrance, which refer <clears throat> to the passion of Christ and identify the Mass as the realization of the sacrifice of the cross. Moreover, the signs of the cross before and after the consecration are all also symbols of the blessing and grace that are contained in the body and blood of Christ and are to flow out over Christ's mystical body. Especially after the consecration, the signs of the cross emphasize the identity of the Eucharistic species with Christ's body and blood offered up on the cross. In 1955, the great prayer concerning the canon of the Mass, the convert historian Hugh Ross Williamson, he noted the following about the signs of the cross during Mass. He says, During the canon of the Mass, the sign of the cross is made 26 times. It is almost as if the church were determined that, however attention may wander and words become a mechanical repetition, however dry the devotion or lazy the intellect, the body at least shall focus the meaning. Yet the signs are not repetitive. The 26 signs of the cross fall into six separate groups, each having its own particular significance in the Latin Mass. Hugh Ross Williamson proceeds to connect the first three with the Trinity, the second five signs of the cross with the wounds of Christ, the next two signs of the cross with the consecration, with the, with the twofold blessing narrated in the Last Supper, and so forth. So in keeping with the allegorical tradition best summarized in our day by Father Claude Barth in A Forest of Symbols, in short, the plethora of carefully numbered signs of the cross throughout the Mass, and particularly in the Roman canon, is part of the Catholic Church's Lex Orande that reveals her Lex Credendi. In other words, the way we pray is the way we believe. A sign that was once uh, a widely, widely understood fact may be seen in the attitude of Protestant reformers. In his scorching 1969 pamphlet, The Modern Mass, a revision to the reforms of Cramner, a crucial predecessor to the far better known Cramner's Godly Order of Michael Davies, Hugh Ross Williamson reminds us, he says this, quote, the Protestant Cramner forbade the crosses, that is the sign of the cross, and the elevation, but kept an approximation to the words, which now meant something quite different to the Protestants, to give the illusion of continuity. The removal of these signs of the cross is one of several vivid differences between the Lexerandi of the venerable Roman canon and that of the so-called Eucharistic prayer number one of Pope Paul VI modern missal. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about, oh, you Catholics are swatting flies. <laughs> are you swatting flies or are you seeking refuge in the cross? <clears throat> the author of the article writes, Back in high school, I went on a youth retreat, pretty useless and annoying as I recall, in which I remember an older priest making fun of the old Latin Mass, which at that time I did not know at all, like the infant Samuel uh, who did not know the Lord, 1 Samuel 3.7. The priest said, the modernist priest said with a, with a slightly mocking laugh, quote, we used to have to make so many signs of the crosses, it was like we were brushing flies off for something. 
That stuck with me for some reason, said this, the author of this article. Later, when I discovered the old mass, I took notice. I noticed how the new generation of clergy offering the old mass did these signs much more reverently. They took care in how they did it. Some still rush a bit, human weakness being what it is. But most of the clergy trace out deliberate signs of the cross in order to put themselves in mind of what they're about. They would agree with the opinion of, uh, of Father Trevetti, who says, provided that it is really lived and loved and no longer performed in a cranky and mechanical way, the richness of gestures in the Tridentine celebration were the signs of the crosses, its kisses, genuflections, eminently favors, if, if the deepest sense of the term, the commitment to the celebrant and the act he carries out in a movement at, at once gymnastic and spiritual, it draws the gifts of his own body, the real presence of his body, that is to say of his whole being, to the body he presents after gesture, sign after sign, it sows and binds the celebrant to the altar of the Lord and recalls his body to the body of Christ. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm going to continue talking about the power of the cross as it relates to spiritual warfare. You're going to love this. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're talking about why so many signs of the cross are done during the Latin Mass. And the reason is, the 26 times that the priest makes the sign of the cross during the Latin Mass over, uh, you know, over the, when, he's, when he's saying certain prayers or over the, the host, or over the wine, which, which now turns into the precious blood of Jesus and the body of Christ. Why does he make so many signs of the cross? Because he wants to remind not only himself, he's connected himself to Calvary, and he wants to also indicate to us, to the people in the nave, that we're at Calvary. He's not swatting flies. We're not swatting flies. We're at Calvary. That's why so many signs of the cross are made during the Latin Mass, so that we don't forget what the Mass is. It is the once and for all sacrifice on Calvary uh, <clears throat> made in the eternal now of sacred time and space. That's what the Holy Mass is. The, uh, Dr. Kwasniewski writes, <clears throat> he says, while he prayed, talking about this young priest, it appeared as if he were brushing dust or bothersome flies from his face when he repeatedly fortified himself with the sign of the cross. The brethren thought that it was while praying in this way that the saint obtained his extensive penetration of sacred scripture and profound understanding of the divine words, the power to preach so fervently and courageously, and that intimate acquaintance with the Holy Spirit by which, by which he came to know the hidden things of God. De St. Dominic, in his passionate embrace of the cross, in his repeated action of crucifying himself, as it were, knows something that the polite, efficient, apathetic managers of the concilium did not? Yes. Though, to the frivolous observer, he seemed to be brushing dust or bothersome flies from his face, he was in reality communing with the cross, with which he repeatedly fortified himself. He knew the secret of the lover of Christ. 
He knew the secret of the lover of Christ. One who loves the Lord as he did will not complain, but rather rejoice to find this primary symbol of his love and of our response to his love everywhere in the Mass with its countless signs of the cross that he bore for us and that we take up in order to follow him. This is a sort of difference between old and new rites that is at once subtle and overpowering. It is subtle enough that a layman may not notice it for a long while, especially when first assisting at the old Mass. But soon enough, the attentive will perceive the cruciform liturgy. He will begin to sense how the priest has changed and configured to it. He will catch notice of the shining mystery of our faith sunk within the chalice of blood. And no one, and one sees, one knows that this is the mass of the holy sacrifice. In the Canticle of Canticles, a book in the Holy Bible, the lover wishes to lavish all the expressions of love he can upon the beloved and she wishes to reciprocate. This is what we see in the intense mysticism of the traditional Mass. No wonder fervent young people, and above all, priests are so strongly drawn to it and affected by it. It's the difference between the drunken madman who falls under the fascination of God, who seeks the, the, the divine lover's face, and the sober bureaucrat making eye contact with others, seeking their approval. Let me share some other things about the sign of the cross that, again, I think you'll find very interesting. <clears throat> it's a very ancient, the sign of the cross. <clears throat> so why do we make the sign of the cross? Probably no action identifies a person as a Catholic Christian so easily as the sign of the cross. From the earliest times of the church, this sign of the cross was used in all the sacraments and as a means of recognizing other Christians in time of persecution. In earliest times of the church, the sign of the cross was drawn by the thumb on the forehead in much the same way as Catholics cross themselves on the forehead, lips, and breast before the reading of the gospel at Holy Mass. The, the Christian writer Tertullian, who died in 225 A.D., he wrote for fathers to teach sons. He said this, quote, In all our travels, in our coming and going out, in putting our clothes on our shoes at table, in going to rest, whatever we are doing, we mark our forehead with the sign of the cross. He wrote this in 220 A.D. St. Ephraim the Syrian, who died in 373 A.D., says this, My son, mark all you do with the sign of the life-giving cross. Do not go out from the door of your house until you have signed yourself with the sign of the cross. Do not neglect to make that sign whether you are eating or drinking or going to sleep, whether, you're at it, whether you are at home or going on a journey. There is no habit to be compared with it. Let it be like a wall that protects you and your conduct. Teach it to your children so that they may faithfully learn the custom. St. Augustine of Hippo in the 4th century, he said, Let me not have my forehead bare. Let the cross of my Lord cover it. I'll tell you, the sign of the cross actually comes from the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, God was upset with the Israelites because they were engaged in worshiping false gods. And so God sent some angels to Jerusalem, and this is what happens. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 and following. Go through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark upon the foreheads of the men who sign and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it, close quote. And to the others, he said, 
he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and smite. Your eyes shall not spare and you shall show no pity. Slay old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one upon whom is the mark. Close quote. What mark is it talking about? The mark of the cross on their forehead. Remember that judgment always begins at the house of God, 1 Peter 4, 17. And those Israelites at the time of Ezekiel, they were engaged in idolatry and abused the holy things of God. And so they incurred God's judgment. The Israelites that were spared were those that did not worship false gods. They were sealed with the Hebrew letter Tau, T-A-U, which is the form of the cross. This sign, the cross, on their foreheads was the mark that singled out the Israelites who were to be spared from the destruction of Jerusalem the first time it was destroyed in 587 B.C. And in the book of Revelation chapter 7, 3 and Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, John the Evangelist alludes to those servants of God in heaven as being marked with the sign of the cross that Ezekiel spoke of in, in, uh, in, chapter, in Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Another reason we put on the sign of the cross or we mark ourselves or bless ourselves with the cross, just like the Jews today don't want the world to forget about the Holocaust, so they make movies, they make documentaries, <coughs> they have museums, and they give tours to the and they give tours to the Holocaust locations. <coughs> we as Catholic Christians do not want the world to forget the incredible passion of Christ and his death on the cross for our sins. This is what it cost him to redeem the world and make atonement for our sins. Jesus Christ paid a debt that he did not owe because we owe a debt we cannot pay. This is why we make the sign of the cross. We don't want anybody to forget. And finally, the sign of the cross it has a sacramental power over demons. Lucius Lactantius he was a Christian apologist who died in 320 AD, a Catholic Christian apologist and an advisor to Emperor Constantine wrote the following. He wrote this quote, Emperor Diocletian, this wicked emperor, during his abode in the east, he began to slay Christian victims while, while, while he sacrificed some attendants of his who were Christians stood by and they put the immortal sign on their foreheads. At this, the demons were chased away and the holy rites interrupted. So this Christian apologist and historian says that when people would make the sign of the cross back in the 4th century, demons would flee. St. Athanasius says the same thing. In 373 AD, he says, the sign of the cross and the name of Jesus Christ puts demons to flight. In the very presence of the fraud of demons and the imposture of the oracles and the wonders of magic, let him use the sign of the cross, which they all mock at, and but speak the name of Christ, and he shall see how, through him, Christ's demons are routed. Oracles cease and all magic and witchcraft is confounded. St. Clement of Rome also said to use the sign of the cross against demons. St. Catherine of Siena also said we must fight demons courageously by the sign of the cross. St. John Vianney also said the demon is very cunning but he's not strong. Making a sign of the cross puts him to flight. St. Faustina says I made the sign of the cross and the devil fled. Father Amorth says, rest in peace. He says the sign of the of the sign, the sign of the of the, of the cross chases demons away. The sign of the cross chases demons away. 
these signs of the cross called down the blessing of God. This is what happens when you make the sign of the cross. It calls the blessing of God. Think about this. When you watch a Dracula movie, it's not a coincidence that Dracula fears a silver crucifix. Why? Dracula's fear resembles exactly the way demons fear. And they're driven back by the sign of the cross. Well, my name is Jesse Romero. And uh, what a joy to be on here. My partner Terry's doing some apostolic work. I've uh, just been talking about the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three fingers are a sign of the Trinity. And two fingers... When you bring the finger together, the index finger and the thumb, that's a sign of, of Jesus Christ is God and man. Putting the finger and the thumb together, that's a sign of Jesus being God, 100% God, 100% man. And the thumb and the, fir- and the forefinger, what it does, it makes a little cross. The three fingers are standing up. This stands for the Holy Trinity. Think about this. The sign of the cross on the threshold of the celebration marks us with the imprint of Christ, the one who is going to belong to him and signifies the grace of redemption won for us by his cross. That's a wrap, family. What a joy to be with you. Hey, if you like what you hear, then share this program with people. You can support the show by sharing the full show at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio and our YouTube channel, Full Sheen Ahead. Share us with your friends and evangelize everybody you love. Pray your rosary every day. Read the Bible every single day, your daily Mass readings. Go to Mass as often as possible. Add fasting and penance to your prayer life. Go to monthly confession. Live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Become holy or die trying. See you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith.